be here tonight. Uh, folks, you remember the last time that we were here, uh, we began to look at our the second chapter of the Epistle of Galatians, and we divided it into two uh, uh, parts. If you remember, the first one was consisting of uh, verses 1 through 10, and it made up really the preparation that was necessary to extend the message of the covenant. And you've got to think about that for a second. It was it was the preparation made to extend the message of the covenant. And verses 11 through 21 really make up the confrontation necessary to defend the message of the covenant. So verses 1 through 10 make up the preparation that's necessary to extend the message of the covenant. And verses 11 through 21 make up the confrontation that's necessary to defend the message of the covenant. And the reason I say that is really what it does. It kind of provides us a lesson in anything that any of us are going to do at any time, uh, both uh, individually in our relationship with God and corporately as a body. And what it does, it, it, it really reveals the place of the kingdom of God in our life. And so I want you not to just see this in the historical context of what Paul the Apostle was addressing at the church at Galatia, but also how do those rules, how do those examples that were set before us apply in our hearts and lives today? And so what it does it, 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 whenever we make an effort, and you've probably experienced this on, on some level at some different time, to, to extend the reach of influence of his kingdom, like I said, whether it's in our personal lives or whether it's in, in ministry as, as a pastor or a church leader or even with, with youth. I mean, there's, there's, there's no one that's, that's outside of this that we're entrusted with. There's going to come a time where we're also required to defend those actions in order to reveal Jesus. And so don't think for a minute that you're ever going to take uh, uh, have an opportunity to extend the, the kingdom that you don't have to come back and defend it as well. I was in a conversation uh, today, and the person is here that I was in the conversation with, and they'd made a, a point just talking about somebody, and somebody Googled our ministry name. They Googled Raven Ministries and said they Googled it and found out that Raven Ministries was a cult. And I said, well, that's interesting. I said, all they had to do is call me up, and they could find out what a cult is and, and what we believe. And I said, it's really interesting when people just Google something and say it's a cult. And I said, well, I guess believing that, that, that we have victory in Jesus, uh, I, I guess believing that you, you should have a love for the brethren, that you should obey the Great Commission, that you should love one another, that you should feed the hungry and visit the poor and the sick. If that makes me a cult, well, praise God to be a part of a cult called Raven Ministries or Cross Life Fellowship. And so anytime you take ground that's not being taken, people are going to say something is wrong with you. And so for us, that, that on a regular basis, we, for instance, one of our ministries we do is Raven Street Church. We go into Bourbon Street, and we do it week after week and month after month and year after year. This coming February marked 21 years from the very first time that I put my feet on Bourbon Street and began to preach the gospel. There has got to be something wrong with that guy. He couldn't be a normal Christian if he'd submit himself to that type of, uh, of torture every single week. I was preaching in a Baptist church one time, and I, and I said, you know what? Some of you kind of backslidden uh, Baptist brothers, if you don't mind just kind of cussing me under your breath every once in a while, because that's kind of what I'm used to where I preach. So you got to understand that any time I'm extending the kingdom, there's going to be a time that I've got to contend and defend the kingdom as well. So Paul the Apostle in those first ten verses, that was the, 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 the preparation to extend it. Then there was this confrontation necessarily to defend the, uh, the, 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 the kingdom as well. Can't we all just agree to disagree? You ever hear that? Can we just agree to disagree? My answer to that is no, we can't. You know, a lot of people say, can we just agree to disagree? We can't because when we're standing up for the truth of God's word, all we can do is agree 
with the disagreeable person that they're wrong and they're standing in an opposition to God himself. And so there's no getting into agreement on disagreement. Amos 3.3 3 talks about how can two walk together unless they're in agreement. So I'm not going to say, listen, you're okay and I'm okay. One of us has got to be right and one of us has got to be wrong. I was preaching once again on Bourbon Street one night under the big red cross. And a gentleman came up to me and we really had a, a really good conversation. He uh, called himself an atheist. And he defended his position and he would have an argument and all these things. And, and like I said, it wasn't a it wasn't this very combative type thing. He would share something and, and I would counter it with the word of God. And at the end of that conversation, he said, I guess we're just going to uh, uh, agree to disagree because I know that nothing I said is going to influence you and nothing you said is going to influence me. And I patted him on the shoulder and I said, and that's where I got you, buddy. I said, because you already admit that there's no weight to your words. That as soon as the conversation's over, your influence is over. I told him, I said, but the thing that I've been doing with you for the last half hour, I've been speaking the word of God to you. And the word of God says that his word will not return void, but it will accomplish every word that was sent to do. And he sent his word to heal us, to convict the world, to sin of righteousness and to judgment. And I said, what I've done is I've implanted the word in your life and faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And you know that all of your arguments, as good as they seem, are empty, fruitless Feeble arguments. And I said, so you're going to walk away from here. I mean, chances are I'll forget all that stuff that you've said that I've probably heard a million times. I said, but that word of God is like that sharp two-edged sword that's pierced into your heart. So you can be disagreeable, but you're never going to walk away from here having not been warned and having not been given a reason for that hope that's within me. So, folks, that's the difference that we have. When we begin to prepare ourselves, do that preparation in order to extend the kingdom, we've got to also be ready to be willing to contend and defend the faith as well. And so I want to read those 11 verses again that are meant to prepare us for this extending, uh, which is obviously worth defending at the end of the day. In Galatians chapter 2, beginning with verse 1, and it says then 14 years later, Paul the Apostle once again speaking, he said, I went back to Jerusalem again. He said, this time I went with Barnabas. You'll remember the first time that he went. He spent just a few days with Peter. Didn't meet with anyone else. It doesn't really say what they talked about. Maybe they were just kind of getting uh, getting used to one another. But a great period of time happened. 14 years later, he went. He took Barnabas with him this time. And Titus came along too. He said in verse 3, he said, I went there because. Somebody say he didn't just go there for a vacation, but he went there because anything that I do, I don't want to just do for no reason. I want to do it because I want there to be a modus operandi between it, uh, with everything that I do. I want there to be a purpose in it. So he went there because, and this is a good reason to go. He said, I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. And so he went to Jerusalem because God said, go to Jerusalem. Back in 1996, I came to New Orleans because God said, Go to New Orleans. We moved our family here in November of 2003 because God said, move your family to New Orleans in 2003. In June of 2006, the Lord Jesus spoke to my heart. He said, I want you to move to, uh, to Daytona Beach, Florida and plant a church. And we moved, me and Kayla and Melanie moved to Daytona Beach, Florida and planted a church. Why? Because God said to do it. And so when God says go, what's a good thing to do? It's good to go. Amen. Because you're going to find his will on the other side of your obedience. And Paul the Apostle said, while I was there, I met with privately with those considered to be the leaders of the church. And I shared with them the message that I've been preaching to the Gentiles. And he said this. He said, I wanted to make sure that they were in agreement. I wanted to make sure that we weren't just agreeing to disagree. 
I wanted to make sure that we had the same mind, we said that had the same heart, we had the same purpose, we had the same directive. So I went there, and he said the purpose of that vision was to make sure that we were in agreement because I believe that that's why God sent me to that place. He said, because I knew if we weren't in agreement, he continues, for fear that all of my efforts would have been wasted and I would be running that race for nothing. Folks, listen, I'm here to tell you, whether it's a local church or whether it's your family, that a house divided against itself will never be able to stand. Do you hear me? And so if it's a marriage, if it's a church, if it's a ministry, whatever it is, there's got to come a place where we get in agreement. And there's only one place that we can get in agreement with that does not change, and that's the Word of God. Because my feelings, my method can change because none of those things are sacred. But the word of God is that which remains sacred. So Paul, the apostle, coming with the word of God, he brought that truth to them and he said, are we in agreement? And so this was that introduction to Paul, the apostle's personal preparation for that purpose that God had commissioned him for. And that was to be extending the covenant that God had made through Abraham to the Gentiles. And so if you'll remember from a couple of weeks ago, I said this, and if you weren't here, you can write this down. I believe you'll get some mileage out of this in anything that you do in life, whether it's ministry, church life, work, or even in your marriage or relationships. Purpose without preparation will usually produce pride. Purpose without preparation will usually produce pride. And so his 14 years of preparation, and to me as, as I read this, can you remember any other event in Paul the Apostle's life that mentioned 14 years? Think about it, just for that long, you Bible guys here. Well, it was 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 4. And here's what he said. He said, this boasting, it won't do me any good, but he said, I've got to go on. And he said, I'm reluctantly going to tell you about the visions and the revelations that I've received from the Lord. And he said, I was caught up into heaven, the third heaven, the abode of God, 14 years ago. He said, whether I was in my body or out of my body, he said, I don't know. God knows. He says, God knows uh, whether I was in the body or outside of my body, whether it was a, a vision or whether God actually caught me up. He said, I don't know. But he said, I was caught up to the paradise of God, and I heard things so astounding. I heard something so astounding that they cannot be expressed with mere words, things no human even is allowed to tell. There were things so grandiose, so incredible, so unprecedented that I heard things. I like that he said he didn't, he didn't say, I saw things. It wasn't that I saw the streets of gold. It wasn't that I saw the sea of glass. It wasn't that I saw the many dwelling places. It wasn't that I saw the tree in the midst of the garden. It wasn't any of those things. Got to that place, he said, I heard things. There was things that were, that were spoken to me that I was able to, exp cannot even express or allowed to tell. And so undoubtedly, it's my opinion that Paul heard his purpose and it was revealed to him at that time. I'm caught up 14 years ago in the spirit, and God embedded his purpose in my life. Folks, listen, you know that when you get in God's presence, man, there is something associated with that that will provide some marching orders for you. And so if you don't know the will of God, you've got to get in the way of God to determine the will of God. So people that aren't willing to get in the way of God or where God's at, you're never going to know God's will. And so what you're going to do is you're just going to be grasping at straws. You're going to be looking for the, all these signs and all these things, chasing the next word at the next prophecy conference. You're going to say to somebody, please give me a word from God, because you know what? I, I'm not willing to pay the price to get that purpose revealed to me. So I need somebody to give me a secondhand revelation. 
Folks, I don't want some secondhand revelation from God. I want to get it hot off the skillet. That way it's burned inside of my heart, inside of my mind, that I can set my face like a flint. I'm not wondering for eight versions of confirmation and hoping things work out. That way I'm not uh, dependent and it's not predicated on anything fails or anything succeeds or if anybody likes it. Do you hear me? It's when God speaks something into my heart and life, it becomes real. It becomes that purpose inside of me. You guys remember, it was four years ago, we were preaching on Bourbon Street, and we got arrested under an ordinance that had been passed just a year before. Matter of fact, the ordinance had been passed the very month that our adopted daughter, Kelsey, was won to the Lord Jesus Christ on Bourbon Street. And it was the aggressive solicitation ordinance that said, you can never gather for the express purpose of the dissemination of information of a political or a social or a religious purpose between 6 p.m. and 6 a.m. In other words, it is a free speech free zone on Bourbon Street for those 12 hours. So you throw out the Constitution, you throw out any conversation whatsoever, and so for those 12 hours, everyone has to walk down Bourbon Street with a piece of duct tape on their mouth because the second you gather to have any conversation, you're in violation. But obviously, they didn't uh, enforce that law until the summer four years ago, and all of a sudden, we were preaching out there, about eight of us, and the police swept in, and Logan Tavelli, uh, God bless his little heart, he was the one on the microphone that night, and I was standing near the cross, and they swept in, and they put handcuffs on him, and they were about to cuff us all, and they decided they wouldn't want to do that because then they would have to carry the cross down the street for us to the police station. But they took us down, and 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 and, and Pastor Brian was there with me that night, and, and Christina was. I'm trying to think whoever else was there that night with us. Gideon somehow kept from getting arrested. I don't know how he pulled that one off. But we went in, and, and, and the officer told us we couldn't do that. And I, and I told him, I said, well, I, I hear what you're saying, but I have to do that. That's my mandate. God didn't say go preach here until you get arrested. He didn't say preach here as long as you feel like it. Preach here until a, a better gig comes along. He said, I want you to go, and he's never told me to stop. And so I got a mandate. I didn't say that this is the best opportunity or anything else. So something burned in my heart. And so I believe that it was the same way with Paul the Apostle. When he got caught up into the third heaven, there was a purpose that God gave him, gave him that was revealed to him that changed everything. And so, folks, listen, when you get in that place and you begin to allow God to speak to you, to extend something, then it becomes more real. And you've heard me say there's a greater reality than what I see. And it's what God has said. And so I come to that place where I hear his voice, then I'm tuned in to his frequency, and I don't care what anybody says. I don't need an amen. I don't need an attaboy. I don't need a word of affirmation. I don't need anything. Why? Because I've got something more real, something that heaven and earth can pass away, but God's word will not pass away. And so I'm solid. I got something inside of me that's true and will not fade. And so Paul the Apostle got that purpose. And, and by his own admission, he knew that there was it was nothing to boast about. He couldn't boast about such a revelation because of the risk of becoming bo uh, boastful or proud. So he waited. I got a word. And so I waited. God gave me a revelation that I wasn't prepared to speak. And so I waited. Now, you remember another guy that got a word one time in the in the Old Testament. Remember Joseph got that word? And, man, he was he got this revelation. He saw the sun and the moon and 11 stars bowing down before him. And, and man, he had to go and tell somebody. Well, the problem is he told the wrong person. It'd be like me walking up to uh, uh, my brother over here and say, man, brother, I got a word from the Lord. The word told me, the Lord told me that I was going to come to you and you were going to empty your bank account and give me all your money and sign your house and car over to me. You're thinking, 
But I don't know where you got that because God didn't speak that to me. And so it'd be like a jolt. And so he goes up to his brother and says, listen, I got news for you. The sun and the moon, 11 stars are going to bow down before me. All you brothers of mine and mom and dad are either going to even going to bow and pay homage to me. Well, we know how that went. You know, they said, who's this joker think he is? Uh, he, he don't have any authority to say that. Well, he had a true purpose, and that was the purpose. Obviously, we know the rest of the story. But they didn't see it. So he spoke out of turn. He spoke out of preparation. And even though it was a true purpose that God had given him, I believe he spoke it with, with uh, out of uh, a, a zealous enthusiasm without much wisdom. So they threw him in the pit, and he ended up in, in, in Potiphar's house in prison. But it was 14 years later. That he ascended to that place. So you see how God works, and I and I appreciate the the, the how, how God this is is so characteristically uh, uh, in order in these things. And so he didn't want to become boastful or proud, so he waited 14 years to begin to testify about it. So that is what we call the preparation before the proclamation. I'm going to prepare myself and bring a preparation before there's any proclamation. That comes out of my, li my life. I was sharing with one of the, 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 the younger brothers in the ministry who, who, who loves to preach the gospel and has a heart towards Jesus. And, and, you know, you get young and you want to preach and you're thinking, man, I need to go back to my old church or I need to go such and such because I've got a word for them. And I told him, I said, brother, you can do whatever you want to do. This isn't a hostage situation. But, man, I would, I, I would really counsel you to slow those jets down. And I shared with him a story about when I was just a, a young man in my early 20s and was wondering why my pastor never uh, asked me to preach. And I visited a church one night on a Sunday night. We didn't have services. And, man, the pastor of that church walked up to him and he said, introduced himself. He said, hey, how would you like to come and preach sometime? Maybe next Sunday night. And so my already big dome got about 10 times bigger than it was. And I said, yeah, he recognizes the anointing. Man, he's seeing the man of God in the place. And so I showed up the next week, and, man, I thought that I was going to bring a barn burner. And I tell you what, it was the most mixed-up bunch of garbage you've ever heard in your life. And I got deflated in a hurry, and I thought to myself, man, I did not do the preparation or allow the time to happen for me to bring the proclamation. And so I told him, listen, I never got invited back. Even 15 years later, when I still knew these guys. Why? Because they still associated me with that. You know what I'm saying? Man, why would we want to? Yeah, we heard he's pastor of church now. We heard he's doing ministry. But, man, you remember when he came to our church? Man, that guy was a doofus. He couldn't put two sentences together. And so it's better to wait and have something to say than to jump off the boat and to sink. And so Paul the Apostle waited. And so we're going to continue and see this next level of preparation that was really was required in his life so that he could effectively carry the message of the cross to the Gentiles. And here's what it said in verse 3. Last week, last time we met, we covered those first two verses. Verse 3 says this. Speaking of him going, him having that meeting, after those 14 years, took with him Barnabas, took with him Titus. And it says, in that conversation, it says, and they supported me. Man, isn't it nice to go and talk to leaders and they support you? And they're behind you. Yeah, you got something going on. Yeah, you did hear from God. And it says, they supported me and they did not even demand that my companion Titus who obviously was a Gentile, be circumcised, even though he was a Gentile. And so I went, I shared with them what was happening, the message of, 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 of salvation through grace, uh, uh, by grace through faith that God had given me. And you know what? They were in total support of it. And they did not even ask that Titus be circumcised. So, so who was they? They was the leaders in the Jerusalem church. And so the leaders at ground zero, where everything began, did not do it. So what he knew is this. 
Paul knew that if the leaders of Jerusalem opposed the gospel message that God had entrusted to him, in a mandate so he could trust God. Just like I trusted God when we got arrested and all of a sudden somebody stepped up and defended us and they threw that, that ordinance out and now it's like we got a carte blanche and have private security on the street. We don't have any problem. Now we set up an 18-foot cross and I'm blasting out about 110 decibels in two different directions all the time. Why? Because we were willing to go and do. Paul the Apostle, he was told to go, and even though he knew that they were Judaizers and other people that would stand in opposition, he trusted God to speak to their hearts. He knew that I don't want to step out of line. I don't want to step out of covenant. I don't want to step out of submission and go it alone. And so his desire was not to just thumb his nose at them and boastfully tell them what he was going to do. He wasn't going to show up and say, guys, listen, I know you were with Jesus. I know you have some some pool around here. But here, I'm about to tell you something. There's a new sheriff in town, and I'm going to tell you how to do it. That's not what he did whatsoever. He went and he submitted that word humbly, that revelation of grace to them, with the hope and the belief, I believe, that they would affirm it and, 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 and yield to the Spirit's leading in regard to those truths. Folks, listen, that's a huge lesson right there in verse 3 that every single one of us can, can learn from. Because a lot of times God will speak something to us. And, man, we never allow God to work that preparation in our heart and life because God's not preparing us or speaking to us to go do. God is speaking it to prepare to go do. Don't you say that again? Sometimes God will give you a word that is so real, it's so powerful, it's, it's so vibrant, it, it, it's so incredible to you. You're thinking, man, if God gave it to me, that means that i got to go do it. How many of you have ever been in a service uh, of any kind and, and somebody come up to you and told you, Man, God has called you uh, to go to the nations and preach the gospel. Anybody got that word from somebody? You've got it, right? And you know what? If we were in a bigger congregation, it'd probably be even more people. Or you're going to do great things. You're going to do all these things. So, man, I guess I guess I got to go do them now. And so you're signing up for the next mission trip. You know, you're getting your passport in order. You're doing all these things. And people say, well, what's going on with you? Man, I'm going to Africa. 
Really? Why, where are you going in Africa? Ah, Africa. Africa's a big place. There's a lot of little countries in Africa. Africa is what God said. Africa, Africa, Africa. Well, then 20 years later, they're not in Africa. Why? Because that wasn't a word from the Lord. That was a word from the flesh speaking to the flesh. Or they begin, or God really speaks Africa. And rather than saying, okay, what I need to do is I need to prepare myself to one day go. He didn't mean next week or next month. He might have said something to my heart that was going to change it. Folks, listen, here's, here's the thing. I remember being 15 years old and in a season of prayer and the Lord speaking to me and telling me that I would go to the nations. Okay, I would preach around the world. I, I, I heard that word. You know, I, I didn't hear it in the sense of you're going to go to Africa. I heard it in the sense of Psalms 2 and 8. And he said, ask of me, and I'll give you the nations for your inheritance and the uttermost parts of the world for your possession. I heard that word. I didn't know what it meant, but I knew that it had to become a time of preparation. And as a result of that, I've preached in a number of, of foreign countries. I've preached, spent weeks in Muslim countries preaching the gospel in the red light district of Amsterdam, places like that. I've done that. But I didn't do it at 15 years old. And you know what? I didn't do it at 25 years old. It was like... 35 years old when I began to do it. Why? Because then I had something to say when I got there. Not just pulling out a shovel and, and digging a hole. You know what? I can hire a monkey to do that. You know what I'm saying? And calling it a mission trip. It wasn't so I could uh, uh, do, get some, uh, uh, some sidewalk chalk and, and, and ride on the sidewalk little smiley faces and crosses on, 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 the, on the pavement in, in Latin America. Anybody could do that. You, you hear what I'm saying? But God entrusting you with the word, because that's what he spoke to me. Ask of me and I'll give you the nations as an inheritance, not as tarantulism or just a photo opportunity to say I went somewhere and I patted the head of some little starving African children. You know what I mean? Because I remember standing outside the ruins of ancient Selchuk, which we in the scripture, ancient Ephesus. And seeing the Spirit of God show up and, and praying for a man in the Spirit and another man walking up to me and saying, listen, and started talking to me in Italian. And me saying to him, sir, I don't speak uh, whatever you're speaking. I, I'm from America. I speak English. He said, and he answered me in English. And he said, oh, I'm sorry, but I just heard you speaking to that man in Italian. And so I've seen the power of God. I, I remember standing on a bridge in the, in the red light district of, of Amsterdam and, and seeing the power of God change and transform people that had gone there for the things that people go to the red light district for. So I've seen the power of God do those things. Why? Because I was willing to pay the time to be prepared so I would have something to offer. Do you hear me? And so that's what he did. He said, listen, I don't want to thumb my nose at them. I've paid the price. That way, when I show up on the scene, there's some credibility and validity to what I've got to see. There's some weight behind my words because I've spent the time in the weighty presence of God. And so it wasn't because Paul came with the excellency of speech. He said he didn't. He said, I'm determined to know nothing but Christ and him crucified the power of God. He said, I didn't come with the excellency of speech because I knew that if I did so, the cross of Christ would be made of none effect. And so he showed up and probably didn't have to say a whole lot because there was weight that had come into his life. There was authority that was in the possession because of the anointing upon his life because he took the time and he humbled himself. And so his desire wasn't to thumb his nose, but they might confirm it. And so he brought with him who? Barnabas and Titus, who was a Gentile believer. And you think for just a second, 
Why would he do that? And we're going to get into Acts in just a minute where this whole scenario unfolds in the book of Acts and it describes it in detail, what he was talking about. But what it did to bring Titus with him as well was it provided an immediate case study as to how they might respond to the message of the Gentiles on a greater scale. So he wasn't going just to say, hey, listen, what do you think about this? Uh, we could invite the Gentiles in. What do you think about the fact that God gave me a word in his presence and showed me a purpose that he wanted to save people by grace through faith? And, and he was saving people apart from the law. Now, he didn't just go and say, what if? Folks, I get what ifs on the streets all the day. I'm talking to somebody about the Lord. And they say, well, you know what? I hear you, but what if? I said, listen, I could, what if the moon was made out of cheese and I had two pieces of bread and melted it in my hand and we all had grilled cheese? I mean, what if, what if, what if? But Paul didn't fall into the what if trap. He brought a classic example of what salvation by grace through faith looked like. I'm going to come with them and I'm going to put this young man in front of them who's experienced this transformation. And so if you're going to tell me, leaders of Jerusalem, if you're going to tell me, Judaizers, that it don't work, you tell that boy it don't work. Because this guy was a Gentile. This guy was a heathen. But there's something that has changed and transformed about this guy. And so you're going to say it to his face. That's kind of funny because there's, there's, a, there's a Baptist church, and obviously I'm, I'm not Baptist, that was supportive of Melanie and I as missionaries in America. And every year they would get together in December. And a number of years ago, the Southern Baptist Convention of Texas said that they could not, the churches could not support any missionaries that had a prayer language that spoke in church. And I'm kind of like Paul the Apostle. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. And so I just happened to be in town the weekend that they were meeting about the missionaries. And I just happened to get invited to the house where the meeting was. And I just happened to be there when they had to read the minutes of the, the, the ruling that had come down from the Southern Baptist Convention. And so I just happened to be there when the guy saw me knowing who I am. And he read that. I just happened to be there. When they had to determine whether they wanted to support us or not because that we believed in the spiritual gifts and we weren't secessionists anymore. Okay. And it was funny, one of the guys stood up, just like one of the leaders of Jerusalem. He said, listen, I don't care what the Southern Baptist Convention says. He said, last time I looked, that Southern Baptist Convention has never dropped a dime into our coffers. He said, the last time I looked, he said, I've been to the streets with these guys in New Orleans for years. And he said, people get saved. People get changed and transformed. And he said, listen, if this church doesn't want to support them, I'm going to support them personally. And the guy that just happened to be leading the message, he said, listen, I'm all with you. I just have to read this stuff. And so, folks, it was much like Paul the Apostle bringing Titus and saying, listen, if you got a problem with it, you need to tell him you got a problem with it. Don't pass the buck to somebody else. So Paul the Apostle brought Titus and he began to show them, listen, that, this, that, that I'm going to show you an example because we're going to specifically broach whether or not physical circumcision is necessary for salvation. And so that was the issue that Paul the Apostle had intended to bring into this meeting. And had it been necessary, as these Judaizers who would later try to come and, and infiltrate the Galatian church, when he said, listen, I'm so surprised that you've turned to another gospel, which is not a gospel, which was the gospel it was, was the one that he was contending for right here in, in, at the, in Jerusalem. And so then the Jerusalem leaders, they would have to de de demand it then if it was required for salvation. And so he wanted to put them in a situation to show them somebody that had been changed and transformed without that Jewish right, that 
Mosaic law of circumcision. And so they claimed that the Judaizers did. He said, let me just show you somebody who hasn't had that happen to them and look at the fruit of their life. And so they didn't wait now, or had Paul the Apostle not waited those 14 years, he might not have walked in the spirit of wisdom in this situation. And so what he did is he came into a very strategic time and a very strategic place because he knew it was going to be a strategic uh, situation at the onset of his ministry that he would have to address something like this and he would have to challenge it later on. So check this out. The obvious issue that Paul was looking at was one that of the circumcision because under the Mosaic Covenant, that issue alone would differentiate the requirements presented by Mosaic law in contrast with the law of God or the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. That was the difference maker. Check this out. Genesis chapter 17, verse 1. Genesis chapter 17, verse 1. And you're going to see why it was so important that Paul the Apostle Right off the bat, he made it the top priority was dealing with the issue of whether or not Gentile converts had to be circumcised. Folks, here's the reason. Had they not acquiesced and said, no, they do not, folks, it would have changed everything. You hear me? It would have changed everything. Look at what it says in Genesis 17.1. It says, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. He said, serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. And he said, and I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. Then in verse 3, it says, at this time, Abraham fell face down on the ground. And God said to him, this is my covenant with you. He said, I'm going to make you the father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I'm changing your name. and It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations. And I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations, and kings will be among them. In verse 7, I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. He said, this is going to be an everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. I will give the entire land of Canaan where you now live as a foreigner to you and your descendants. It will be your possession forever and ever, and I will be their God. That's big talk. That's big promise. That's big purpose, right? So what do you hear? You hear forever. I am your God. I'm changing you. This is my covenant. It's not going to fade away. You're going to have a multitude of descendants. Then God said to Abraham, he said to Abraham, just like God said to Paul, okay? He said, your responsibility, though, for that to happen is to obey the terms of the covenant. Okay, here's your purpose. I'm going to tell you what it's going to look. Your purpose is to be the father of many nations. But I'm going to tell you what the plan and the, the pattern are to confirm it. He said, your responsibility is to obey the terms of the covenant, covenant and you and your descendants have this continual responsibility. Then verse 10 of Genesis chapter 17, he said, this is the covenant that you and your descendants must keep. Every male among you must be circumcised. Every male among you must be circumcised. You must cut the flesh off of your foreskin as a sign of the covenant between you and me. From generation to generation, every male child must be circumcised on the eighth day after birth. This applies not, listen to this, this applies not only to the members of your family, but also to the servants born in your household, 
even the foreign-born servants whom you have purchased, all must be circumcised. Even the Gentiles have to be circumcised. And your bodies are going to bear the mark of my everlasting covenant. Verse 14 says, any male who fails to be circumcised will be cut off from the covenant family for breaking the covenant. Okay? So he said, here's the terms of the covenant that I'm making you forever. All your males, all the males of your household, whether they're Jews or Gentiles, all of them have to be circumcised. So what was the terms of the covenant? Circumcision. It wasn't keeping the feast days, right? It didn't say, if you're going to be in covenant with me, you've got to keep all the feasts. It wasn't only speaking his name in a Hebrew tongue. It wasn't a sacred name, or it wasn't only Saturday worship. It wasn't uh, cut, not cutting off the edges of your beard or riding the, wearing the right clothes or, 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 or kneeling at the, the right time of day. It wasn't any of those things. The terms of the covenant were one thing. Everyone, every male member of your family, even your servants, even those that are foreigners, that are in your household, must be circumcised. And so the sign, as initiated by God himself, was an act of male circumcision. And if this issue was not resolved, then the work of the cross would have been become mute. You hear me? That had to be resolved. Why? Because if it wasn't resolved, what it would do is open the door for the infiltration of the Judaizers. Because they would say, listen, there was a covenant made from everlasting. And unless that thing got resolved, we can never allow them into covenant. So obviously, there was an effort, Paul the Apostle mentioned it, uh, to, uh, uh, to Judaize the Gentiles that were coming to the faith of the cross of Christ. And so Paul made this appearance before the elders of Jerusalem. And these legalistic people came in who were obviously putting pressure on these leaders to require everyone to follow Mosaic law. Beginning with circumcision. Because if I can get them to adhere to one principle of the law, I can open the door up to all. Why? Because even the Jewish people knew that if you offend in one point, you've offended at all. And so if I can get them to submit as Gentiles to one form of the law, what am I having to do? I open up the law of everything. And folks, I got news for you. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. And so am I going to walk back into a bondage that did not save or change or transform them? Absolutely not. So I want you to look at this lead up. And I told you I was going to go to Acts chapter 15. Here's that situation that led to this meeting that we're looking at in the second chapter of the uh, epistle of Galatians. Acts chapter 15. Here's why he had to have that meeting in Jerusalem. And it says, why Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, okay, which is now modern-day Turkey, been there. Funny story, we were in Antioch, and we went to that cave in the wall that had been cut out. That was the first church where they first called us Christians. And so we walk in, and there's this big old piece of granite, and it's roped off by a velvet rope, and there's a Turkish guard standing there, and people are coming through. But you can walk around, and, and you know you're walking on that ground that the apostles of old walked around. And, and people wept, and people bled for Christ right there. And it just you just can't go into a place like that without getting a little bit excited and nostalgic. So I just couldn't take it anymore. And so I caught the guy not looking. I stepped underneath the rope, dropped my Bible open, and started preaching in this cave. And it must have been so out of the norm that the guy didn't even know what to do. And so he didn't say anything to me. 
He must have thought I was some act from America or something that was brought in to entertain the visitors. And so I preached and excited the buddy with mine so much, I just tagged off, and he ended up preaching as well. And another brother started singing how great they are afterwards. And so right there at this place where they made this decision, I've stood there and preached so it, 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 I can see it. And so they were at Antioch of Syria, and some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers, unless you're circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. And so it didn't start in Jerusalem. It didn't start in, in, in Galatia. It started all the way back in Antioch when they were first called Christians. And so when the enemy wants to strike, he wants to strike at the lowest point. He wants to strike at the origin. And folks, you think about even with that issue, and, 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 and Brother John 3.16 can tell you this, uh, because he's fought so fervently and, and, and stood against the abortion industry. Folks, we don't realize the number of people, the, the, the world changers, the, the, the person that may have had a cure for cancer uh, deposited in their mind, the person that could have been a world shaker and solved these problems. Well, the enemy has been successful in doing a wholesale murder of millions and millions of children. Why? Because the next great revival might have been in a mother's womb. There might have been somebody that God had raised up for a purpose, but through our laws and through, uh, through some type of political Judaizer has brought this in and destroyed those things in their infancy. See, that's, that's the severity of those things. Yeah, the, the plan has changed. But really the whole, the, or the method has changed, but the purpose has still stayed the same. So it says they came and they said, listen, unless you're circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you can't be saved. And so Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them and they argued vehemently with them. And it says, finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanied by some of the local believers to talk to the apostles and elders about this question in verse 3 of Acts 15. And it says the church sent the delegates to Jerusalem. and They stopped along the way of Phoenicia and Samaria to visit other believers. And they told them how much to everyone's joy that the Gentiles, too, were being converted. And so they had this delegation rose up. Why? Because you had these people show up on the scene and say, listen, I see the revival is breaking loose. I know people are getting healed. I know people are getting saved, but y'all are not doing it right. Can you imagine the scene? Gentiles, heathen people are giving up pagan worship. They're giving up these things. But it's not good enough. Why? Because they didn't get baptized in the right amount of water. The right formula wasn't utilized. or the, they, they had too much hair underneath their arms. Their pants weren't long enough. The women didn't have a bun on their head or they had false eyelashes on. So it couldn't be real revival. Something couldn't be happening. They're not really saved. But as they went in this delegation, they began to talk to the people. They said, listen, I'm going to tell you something. We're going, and man, Gentiles are being converted. People are being saved. People are being sanctified. People are being filled with the Holy Ghost. People are, are believing on Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Something is happening. And it says, and when they arrived in Jerusalem, they had to work themselves into a tremendous frenzy by the time that they got there in this delegation. It says, Paul and Barnabas was welcomed by the whole church, including the apostles and the elders, the same ones that he was talking to in Galatians chapter 2. And it says, they reported everything that God had done through them. But when some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and insisted that these Gentile converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. Folks, isn't that the same old wet blanket that's used in the church today? Well, I know, I know God's saving people. I know things are happening. But, man, I did not like the way that old Roy was up there playing that electric guitar. And, Jonathan, you know that beat? I think that was some devilish pagan African beat you were playing there and conjuring up spirits. People say crazy stuff like that. 
You know what I'm saying? What you know what? These colored light bulbs. What is this? Some rock and roll show up here? You know what? Inviting all this. We make light of that, folks, but I tell you what, in 25 to 30 years of minute, I've heard every single one of those things. People would rather not believe it and discount it. Why? Because something doesn't look just the way they expect it to look. They can see a life transformed. They can see somebody delivered from devils. They can see a miraculous healing. All of those things lining up with the Word of God, and they still won't like it. Why? Because there was one hoop that you didn't allow them to jump through. So he began to say the Gentile converts must be circumcised as required by the law of Moses in verse 6. So the apostles and elders met together to resolve this issue. And at the, at the meeting, after a long discussion, kind of like some of the cross-life elders meetings, just joking. He wasn't paying attention to me on that line. It says, Peter stood and addressed them as follows. He said, brothers, after this long meeting, you all know that God has chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles. To, to, to go, uh, go to preach to the Gentiles so that they could hear the good news and believe. He said God knows people's hearts. And he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit just like he did to us. And in verse 9 it said he didn't make any distinctions between them and us. For he cleansed their hearts through faith. So why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to keep? You remember Romans 8, the, the carnal man, the natural man is not subject to the law, neither indeed can he be. Listen, you can give all the laws you want to, but there was a reason that Jesus had to die and raise again and become that sacrificial lamb for the propitiation of our sins because man couldn't jump through enough hoops and do enough on his own. So you know that we could not do those things on our own. And so everyone, it says in verse 12, listen uh, uh, quietly as Barnabas and Paul also told about the miraculous signs and wonders that God had done through them among the Gentiles. And when they had finished, James stood up and he said, brethren, Listen to me. He said, Peter's told you about the time that God had first visited the Gentiles to take them a uh, uh, people for himself. And this conversion of Gentiles is exactly what the prophets predicted. It's exactly what he said long ago when he gave that word. It's what he said. Long ago, as it is written, verse 16, afterwards, he said, here's the word. I will return and restore the falling house of David. I will build its ruins and restore it so that the rest of humanity might seek the Lord, including the Gentiles. And all those I have called to be mine, the Lord has spoken. He who made these things known so long ago. And so my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles. This is James speaking, who are turning to God. He said, instead, we should write and tell them to abstain from eating food offered to idols, from sexual immorality, from eating the meat of strangled animals and from consuming blood. For these laws of Moses have been preached to Jewish synagogues in every city and on every Sabbath for many generations. He's just, these aren't too burdensome. These things just make sense. In verse 22, then the apostles and elders together with the whole church in Jerusalem chose delegates and they sent them to Antioch of Syria with Paul and, and Barnabas. So it says, listen, we're not just going to give you the message and send you on your own and they have to take your word for it. We're going to send some people back because we want to make sure this, this issue is cleared up. And it says they, the men chosen were two of the church leaders. Judas called uh, uh, Barsabbas and Silas, and it says this is the letter that they took with them, and listen to what they wrote. He said, this letter is from the apostles and elders, your brothers in Jerusalem. It's written to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Sicilia. Greetings. We understand that some men from here, from Jerusalem, some men that, that, that were right under our nose, some men that we probably just put up with and we tolerated because they'd been here for so long. They probably had to. Listen, maybe they'll go away. Or you know what, man, they've got a friend in the family. Some men from 
here have troubled you and upset you with their teaching. But we did not send them. So we decided, having come to complete agreement, to send you official representative, uh, representatives along with our brothers Barnabas and Paul who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, listen. When you stand up for the gospel, you're risking your life. Now, it may be risking your life, may not be risking your life under blood, but you're risking your life. You're risking your job. You're risking your promotion. You're risking your friendships. You're risking all those things that we call our life. You're risking your happiness. You're risking your success. Anytime you obey God, you're risking your life. And he says, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm what we have decided concerning your question. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to lay any greater burden on, the, the, on those than the few requirements. And so you abstain from eating food offered to idols, from consuming blood or the meat of strangled animals, from sexual immorality. If you do this, you'll do well. Farewell. That's all we're telling you. He didn't say if, if, you, if, you, if you keep the Sabbath, if you keep the feast, if you get circumcised, if you do all these other hoops, he said, you'll be okay. He said, listen, there's just a few practical things we're asking you to do, and none of those things were burdensome. But folks, just like it's infiltrated to then, it's infiltrated today. We've got whole movements on, uh, on Hebrew roots movements. We've got all this uh, returning to the Jewish roots, and unless you keep the feast, unless you do these things, you're not saved, and you're deceived. Well, listen, I thought that already got covered. I thought it was always dressed that we're saved by grace through faith, not of works, so that no man should, should boast. We're created unto good works. Why? Because we're his workmanship. We don't do things to get God's approval. We, think, we do things because we have his approval through faith in the finished work of the cross of Calvary. Period. I thought that had been settled. I don't need to go back to my Hebrew roots. I don't need to go back to, to, to all of these ideas. I don't need to make sure that I, I'm in the right spot on Rosh Hashanah. I don't need to make sure that I'm doing things at the Feast of Trials. I don't need to make sure of those things. What I need to make sure is that my heart is right with Jesus and I hold true to the faith. Why? Because without faith, it's impossible to please him. If I'm coming to him, i got to believe that he is. and He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek after him. And so the messengers went to, once to Antioch and they were called to a general meeting of the believers and they delivered that letter. And there was great joy throughout the church that day as they read this encouraging message. So the situation, as we saw, it began in Antioch. It was settled in Jerusalem. Then the message went back to Antioch where we were first called Christians. And so that's where some of those men had arrived from there and began to teach the believers that they had to obey that Mosaic law and be circumcised. So the church at Antioch had been receiving Gentiles, obviously, into the ranks without the act of, uh, of circumcision being necessary. But to settle that issue, what they do? They said, we're going to do our due diligence. We're going to pay the price. We're going to go and be prepared. If we're going to extend the covenant, what we're going to do is we're going to do everything necessary to be able to contend with it. And so they brought along with them that Gentile Titus. I want you to look at something real quick. A little bit more time tonight. They didn't want to exact a burden on the Gentiles that the Jews proved that they could not even carry. They want you to do something that us as covenant people could not even do. But what I thought was interesting there was that when he says, and I touched on this a second ago, it says they risked their lives. Somebody wanted that stopped. Think about that. Somebody wanted that message stopped. Folks, listen, it's not enough to be religious. So my daughter preaches all the time. You know, people say, well, uh, I go to church. Are you a Christian? I go to church. She says, well, listen, you can stand in the barn all day. It doesn't make you a cow. 
You go to church all day, they make you a follower of Christ. Somebody wanted it stopped. Why? Because what had happened religiously and spiritually in Judaism is you had these whitewashed tombs. You had the clouds without rain. You had people that were real good at talking about it, but there had never been a change and transformation in their heart. Why? Because, folks, listen, if righteousness cometh by the law, then the grace of God is of none effect. And we'll get into that sometime. But think about that just for a second. If they would not have cut that issue off of circumcision, then the grace of God would have had no impact. Now, I'm not talking about the Old Testament grace that happened before the cross. It was just unmerited favor. But I'm talking about the grace of God that's a divine influence on our heart that we call conviction, that we call the anointing, that we call the drawing of the Holy Spirit. It would have been ineffectual. But we're saved by that drawing through faith. And he said if we would have went to the law, then that influence would not have been influential any longer. So he had to deal with that primary reason that they were trying to, to, to subvert the kingdom of God. Listen, that's what it became. They were enemies of the cross and doing so under a religious tenor and tone. You think about that? So, folks, it doesn't have to be somebody pulling you off into secular humanism. It doesn't have to be somebody, you know, telling you that uh, uh, that you've got to politicize everything uh, in, in order to walk in faith. Folks, it was people that utilized things that were very, very close to the truth, but not. Romans 2.29, I'll close with this. He said, no, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision... What true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it's a change of heart produced by God's spirit. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God and not from people. I said that was it, but I've got to read Jeremiah 4, 4 to you. Circumcise yourself to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your heart. So they didn't even wait till the New Testament. Men of Judah and residents of Jerusalem. He said, otherwise, my wrath will break out like a fire and burn with no one being able to extinguish it because of your evil. Thank you, Lord God, for your word.